Genesis 21. The Lord visited Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did to Sarah as he, prom as he had promised. And Sarah conceived and bore Abraham a son in his old age, at the time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore him, Isaac. And Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh over me. And she said, Who would have said to Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son in his old age. And the child grew and was weaned. And Abraham made a great feast on the day that Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Abraham, laughing. So she said to Abraham, Cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not be heir with my son Isaac. And the thing was very displeasing to Abraham on account of his son. But God said to Abraham, Be not displeased because of the boy and because of your slave woman. Whatever Sarah says to you, do as she tells you, for through Isaac shall your offspring be named. And I will make a nation of the son of the slave woman also, because he is your offspring. So Abraham rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave it to Hagar, putting it on her shoulder along with the child and sent her away. And she departed and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water and the skin was gone, she put the child under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him a good way off, about the distance of a bowshot. For she said, Let me not look on the death of the child. And as she sat opposite him, she lifted up her voice and wept. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water, and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. He lived in the wilderness, and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother took a wife for, a wife for him from the land of Egypt. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but, it, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. And Abraham said, I will swear. When Abraham reproved Abimelech about a well of water that Abimelech's servants had seized, Abimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and I have not heard of it until today. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Abimelech, and the two men made a covenant. Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock apart, and Abimelech said to said to Abraham, What is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs that you have set apart? He said, These seven ewe lambs you will take from my hand, that this may be a witness for me that I dug this well. 
Therefore that place was called Beersheba, because there both of them swore an oath. So they made a covenant at Beersheba. Then Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, rose up and returned to the land of the Philistines. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and called there on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham sojourned many days in the land of the Philistines. So for the last week or so, we've been going through the Jesus Storybook Bible uh, in, in the evenings and, and reading um, kind of that story in the home. And every night as we've been reading, they're like, oh, we finished the story. Can we read one more, please? Can we read one more? And like, they have to like, oh, we'll wait till tomorrow. We'll read another one. Last night, we would have done two, but the lights went out and we couldn't see the book. But uh, like, it's been kind of convicting for me. Like, do I so long f- to read the Word of God and, and know what's coming next? Or do I take for granted that which I'm like, oh, I already, I already know that. I don't have that, that same yearning to, to continue on or to wake up and read. And I'm like, man, like, even as I was preparing this sermon, I was thinking about that a lot this, this week. Um, I don't know. It's been a, a challenge um, I felt challenged by that, um, to really pray for that type of yearning for the Word of God. I just want to make sure as we just jump right into this this morning, that we're kind of on the same page of where we've been. Um, last week, as Tanner talked about, the, the first seven verses of Genesis 21 are really this high point in, in Genesis. We see this, this fulfillment of the promise given to, to Abraham. Um, the promise of a child to 100-year-old Abraham and to 90-year-old Sarah. Um, and this is a promise that has been made for 25 years now. It's been about 25 years since God first stepped in and made this promise to Abraham and Sarah about an offspring. About 25 years since Genesis 12. And we see that God fulfills his promises. That's what we saw a lot as Tanner uh, was talking last week. We saw that God, our, God, our God is a promise-keeping God. And Tanner talked a lot, a lot last week that we can have confidence in God. We can be confident, we can have confidence that He is going to fulfill His promise because He's a promise keeping God, because He shows us that's what He's like. But as we quickly, as we move into the rest of Genesis 21, we see that that doesn't mean, because God was faithful to His promise, He was faithful to fulfill His promise. That didn't mean that everything automatically was, was great, everything was perfect, and everything was. Wonderful. We see kind of some drama playing out right away. That, that Abraham make, has, a, has a feast for his son. Most people believe that Abraham or Isaac would have been about two or three years old at this point. Um, and, and he holds a celebration. And it says that Sarah sees Ishmael laughing. Uh, some versions translate that, that mocking. Um, so I, it seems, seems that it wasn't just a a, a joyful laugh, uh, but there was something more there. Um, but just a reminder of Ishmael. Ishmael was the son of Abraham and Hagar, the Egyptian servant um, that, that, was, that belonged to Sarah. And we see that as Abraham and Sarah began to doubt that God was going to fulfill his promises, as they weren't sure if he was actually going to come through on his promises, Sarah and Abraham took this into their own hands. To, to, to create the offspring that they had been promised. And th- that was Ishmael. 
And we see in those first eight verses that the, the way that God has blessed Sarah now with this child, she, she becomes bitter almost. Bitter at, at what she sees in Ishmael. Because in her eyes, Ishmael is no longer needed, right? Because she has her own son. So she says, get rid of them. Send them away. And Abraham is distressed by that. And he says he's distressed over that, that thought out of love for his son. But then God confirms this to him. He says, yes, do as your wife has said. And I think this, this brings up some different questions. At least it did for me as I was reading this and preparing this um, this morning. Like some questions. One of it was like, was on the positive side, does Abraham, is he finally getting this? Is he finally, God says do something. He's like, yep, doing it. He's not, he didn't lie to his, lie about his wife. He didn't, those things that he's continually been doing. But God says, no, no, send them away. And he, and he obeys. He does it. But on the flip side of that question is, like, why does God say to send Ishmael away? Like, doesn't this seem unloving or unjust? And it, those two questions kind of sat, sat out before me as I was preparing and kind of sat out before us as we're walking through this text this morning. So Abraham sends them away. He gives them bread. He gives them water and sends them away. We see that the water quickly runs out. And Hagar basically assumes that, that they're going to die. And I don't know if this is true of anyone else, but I know it is of me. As I read passages like this, I feel like I don't feel the full weight of, the, of, of people's situations. I feel so far removed from that situation. And it's like, do I fully feel the pain that Hagar is feeling in this moment? Like, she's with, most people would think, based on some time frames, believe that, that Ishmael is like probably a young teenager at this point, probably 12 to 14, somewhere in there. But do we feel the weight of this mother wandering in the wilderness with her son? No water. Lays her son down and walks away because she can't bear the sight of watching him die. I think we miss the gravity that I know I do as I read through these, reading so fast, we don't feel that weight, the gravity of the situation. But I think it's important that we do because then, verse 9, sorry, not verse 9, I'm in the wrong chapter. In verse 15, we see all this. What does the angel say? God, we see God stepping into the situation. God hearing the cry of, of, of a boy. The name Ishmael means God hears. We see God stepping in with meaning a physical need, but also he steps in with a promise. He says, Up, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him a great nation. God's promising, I'm going to provide for him. Sure, this provision is going to look different than it does for Isaac. It's going to look different than it does for the family line of, of, of Abraham and of Isaac, of Jacob, as we go forward. But God is still going to provide. He's still going to be faithful to his promises to make the offspring of Abraham a great nation. So though Hagar and her son are cast out by Abraham and Sarah, though they're rejected by man, God still provides. God still provides. 
So before we move on to the next section, I just want to read the, the last verses again. As we kind of close out this section, it says, in God, verse 20, And God was with the boy, and he grew up, and lived in the wilderness, and became an expert with the bow. He lived in the wilderness of Paran, Paran and his mother took a wife for him from the land of Egypt. And it's kind of this, okay, end of the story. Now we're back to, to Abraham, right? Right back to Abraham and Abimelech. And we're going to come back to this real, real quick. But I think just, I want to, this last passage, I was like, well, how does this connect at all? This passage with Abraham and Abimelech, how does this affect anything? How, what, how are the two tied together? Because this passage almost seems like it ties more in with Genesis 20, where we saw Abraham and Abimelech the first time. But notice what Abraham says. Notice what the king says, Abimelech says. At that time, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of the army, said to Abraham, God is with you in all that you do. Now, therefore, swear to me here by God that you will not deal falsely with me or with my descendants or with my posterity, but as I have dealt kindly with you, so you will deal with me and with the land where you have sojourned. I feel like it's hard to fault Abimelech for questioning this. Like Abraham has just come into his country, lied to him, brought this disease on his house. We see that Abraham's sin has impacted his reputation. Abraham's sin, is that past sin still has consequences. Abimelech doesn't trust him. But at the same time, we, we talked about this in Genesis 20, God has revealed himself to Abimelech, to this country, through this interaction with Abraham. They know, God, Abimelech knows all this is true. He's, God is with you in all that you do. But the sin has consequences. And we see this as Abimelech is living in the land, or sorry, as Abraham is living in the land, Abimelech doesn't trust him. We see all over this passage this morning effects of sin, effects of Abraham and Sarah not fully trusting in the promises, that conflict that it brings. We see Abraham having conflict in the land where the, the leader doesn't trust him. But also in this passage, we see a lot more about the provision of God. Because God's provision, as I said a moment ago, is not determined by the way that we are accepted, by the way that man is accepted. Abraham's provision is not affected by his own unfaithfulness. Ishmael, Hagar, their provision is not determined by their acceptance by Abraham or Sarah. But in this passage, we also see God's special care for those who are afflicted. His special care for those that are, are wandering with no home. Like the Bible's full of these examples, and this is probably one of the most clear examples. Because though they are wanderers, though they have no home, they right now have no family, God provides. The text doesn't give us too much about where, where the heart of Hagar or Ishmael, the emotions or the feelings that they're feeling. But can you imagine, this is a rhetorical question, but can you imagine what it feels like to be Hagar in this situation? 
your, the father of your child has just cast you away because he seemingly loves another child more. You're a single mother caring for a child in the wilderness. Your child and you both are about to die. Imagine yourself, the feelings that you're feeling in this moment. Or what about if you're Ishmael? A teenage son. Earthly father sends you away because there's this other son that is more treasured. And can you imagine the, just that feeling, those emotions? Like what emotions, what words come to mind as you're thinking about these two people? Unwanted? Unloved? Abandoned? Those are the words that came to mind as I was looking through this this week. And I feel like these things are so present in the world today. These, these feelings of being unwanted, unloved, abandoned. I mean, we live in a world like battling right now. I mean, anywhere in the news, the social media, battling over the life of the unborn. And it's just so clear, like, what, what's wanted and what's not wanted and, and being unloved. This is battle going on. But we're living, we live in a society that is battling over whether or not an unborn baby who is unwanted and unloved even has a right to live. But it doesn't stop there. I mean, just this, this value of life, this mess, like what message is being preached about being unloved and unwanted? And I really, I so hesitate to even go here with this this morning because things are so politicized and so much, so much has so much weight in the political arena. But it's because it's been so politicized with not just abortion, but like with immigration, anything we talk about within this country, I feel like the message being preached is, no, no, you're unwanted. We don't want anything to do. If you're not from this country, stay away. And just hearing this, both not just from the political side, but even within the Christian community, we give off this message that we get to determine who is wanted and who is not, who is loved and who is not. And really, my, my point is not a political one. It's a, it's, it's a heart one. Like, are we loving people? Regardless of race, regardless of what country they're from, regardless of whether they're, they've broken laws or not, regardless of whether they're legal or not, like, it's a hard thing that I'm talking about. When we see the heart of God in the Bible is to love, care, the same in the gap for those who are not as privileged, those who most would determine to be outcast. Whether you want to talk about abortion, immigration, poor widows, orphans, felons, the sojourner, many in this world are treated as afterthoughts. Messages being preached to them that you're unwanted, you're better off abandoned, you're unloved. Have we ever, had you ever felt like you were in any of these places? A place of hurt, a place of feeling unloved, unwanted, 
place of feeling abandoned. As we think of Hagar and Ishmael, like this is what I feel for them in this moment. Being unwanted, unloved, abandoned. And if this passage, if this thing ended in verse 14, I think there would be so many more questions, but it continues on. Look at verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy, and an angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, What troubles you, Hagar? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Up, lift up the boy, and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. And she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. <laughs> like, notice, like, she comes, this angel comes and says, What troubles you? But then you see, like, this is also a rhetorical question, because she doesn't even get a chance to answer. What troubles you? Fear not, for God has heard the voice of the boy. Up, lift up the boy, hold him fast with your hand, for I will make him into a great nation. You see, God heard their cry. It didn't have to be voiced. God heard their cry. Before even asking what was going on, he knew their pain. He knew their hurt. He knew exactly what was going on. He meets them in their pain, in their hurt, in their wandering, and promises provision. Both physical provision, but ultimately he provides them with a promise. I am going to make him into a great nation. And God was with the boy, and he grew up. You see, Hagar and Ishmael, though rejected by man, rejected by Sarah, ultimately rejected by Abraham, God promised, God provided. God promised and God provided. You see, that was God's plan all along. It, it's like, it's like what, is, what is going on? As, as Hagar and Ishmael are, are sent out, it was all along this way. God was also providing in this moment, provided for them, showed them this care, showed them this provision. And all through Scripture, we see God's heart, the special place in His heart for those who are afflicted. The wonder, the sojourner, the down and out, the weak, the weary. As if you remember back in the fall when we spent three weeks looking at the, the doctrine of adoption, huh? God's care and love for the, for the orphan, God's ultimate adoption of us into his family, but tied directly to so many of those verses, so many of those passages, we see tied the widows and the sojourners. Exodus 23, 9, when God is giving his law, he says, you shall not oppress a sojourner. You know the heart of a sojourner, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. Deuteronomy 10, 18, speaking of who God is, says, He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. God, in His Word, we see him declaring what his care is like, what his provision is like, what his love is like. That he's for these people. He's for them. Because we talk about immigration or, or um, abortion or any of those things, 
What the, I've heard the church criticized a lot. Like, yeah, you speak out against that, but what are you doing? How are you loving those people? You can't give that same criticism towards God because we see he isn't just declaring what is to be. He is showing it. He's demonstrating this. Hagar and Ishmael, those sojourners, they're wondering, God provides. So as we see God's heart, we see what he's like. We see his character. We see he's a, a promise-keeping God. We see he's a caring God, a loving, a providing God. And we see a full fulfillment of all that God has promised. You see, at this same time, God has promised Abraham, back from Genesis 12, what he's going to do. He's going he's to bless Abraham. He's going to give him offspring. He's going to make him into a great nation. And we're going to start seeing that ramp up. This family of Abraham is going to start multiplying. We're going to see this very soon. But God says he's going to do that. He's going to do that through the promised son, through, through Isaac. But we see Abraham and Sarah get impatient. They try to force this. They try to make their own way. But even that, it doesn't stop God from being faithful. It doesn't stop God. God is still faithful to give them this son. Like, our mess-ups don't mess up God's plan. God is still faithful. All at the same time, we see the effects of sin. All of this going on is just this effect of sin. Abraham, Sarah. But all the while, God is also being faithful, providing, making a great nation out of Ishmael, providing physically, providing the promise. I keep going back and forth with these things because Genesis, if you haven't realized this yet or not, Totally back and forth. We see mankind's sin, and we see God's holiness. We see mankind's failure. We see God's perfection. We see mankind's lack of faith. We see God's faithfulness. We see man's need. We see God's provision. Man's insecurity. We see God providing safety. All through here, we've seen God writing his story. God revealing what he is like. And I hope it never seems like Tanner or I are up here like beating a dead horse. We're saying, like, this is God providing. I remember ever since back in Genesis 1 and 2, we said, this is a, a story. It's God's story. It's a picture of God's provision. We see that so clearly here again. This is God acting. In verses 1 through 7 that I had Nick read again, we see God providing a promised child. We see God providing in the wilderness for Sarah and Hagar. And what we ultimately see, we're going to see going forward, that God is providing for Abraham in a land that he's walking through in his own lies and deception. He's been acting all of these ways, and yet God is still providing. What we see is that it's not only a picture of provision for God's chosen people, for the family of Abraham, but also God providing for the outsider. Because we're just at the beginning of seeing this. We're just at the very, very beginning. But back when we first started in Genesis 12, it's like, all right, now we're focusing in on God's interactions mainly with this one family. The 
family of Abraham. Most of the Old Testament designed to focus on this. God's provision for the people of Israel, for this nation. Their, their rejection, their failure, yet God's constant provision. But here we see God's provision for the outsider. Because although Ishmael was physical descendant from Abraham, he was not the offspring of promise. But yet God is still providing for him. Like God providing for the sojourner. God providing for the outsider. Those that would be outside of this covenant that he made with Abraham. And this is such great news, such a message of hope, because we are the outsiders, every one of us. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. Like, at least to my knowledge, none of us trace our roots back to Abraham. Like, back through the New Testament, if you look at the New Testament, you see the Jews and the Gentiles, like the Jews coming from the line of Abraham, Belonging the promises that belong to Abraham. And I think that, at least for me, having grown up in the church, like it's really easy to think, well, yeah, that, that, that's me. All that belongs to me. No. Let me read Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. Ephesians 2, 11 through 12. Paul writes, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Like, this is us he's talking about here, the Gentiles, those that are not, do not belong to promises. I think it's easy to forget this, that we are those on the outside. Like, we don't automatically just inherit. We're not children of Abraham. Ch initially, children, physically children of Abraham. But now look back at verse 13. Keep going in Ephesians 2. Verse 13. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Did you hear what that says? Like, you and me, strangers to the covenants of promise, on the outside, to us belongs the promise now. Like the div divided the wall of hostility. The hostility you see between Sarah and, and Hagar, Isaac and Ishmael. Like, Jesus killed that hostility. 
brought us into the family. Those that were on the outside brought us into his family. As Jesus died on the cross, broke down the hostility, brought us into the family and gave us life. Not life as outsiders, but life as insiders, as a part of his family. You see, the grace and provision that we see displayed to Hagar, displayed to Ishmael, is the same that has been provided to us in Jesus. And something else that we see with, with, with Isaac and with Ishmael is I think that God is, is showing also that being part of God's family is not about human achievement. It's not about effort. It's not about marriage. It's not about what we earn. Sarah and Isaac, sorry, Sarah and Abraham, they tried that. They tried to do it their own way. They tried to, to make that child. They tried to, to jump ahead of God's promises. But it was through Isaac, through the promised child, that God's promises would be fulfilled. It's through that line that King David would come. It's through that line that Jesus would come. But at the same time, we see that Ishmael resembles this child of the, the flesh. And in this story, we see that God is declaring that, no, all of this is going to come through a promise. Not, not through achievement, not through effort, not through what we do by ourselves. But it's going to come through a promise. And it's going to come through a promise that is fulfilled in Jesus. The promised Messiah who would come, live, die, rise from the dead. And this is why the root of the gospel is not merits. It's not what we earn. But the root is Jesus. Like, that's why. Because it's a promise. It's what we're given to, what we're given as a promise. Not what we're given to what we, what we earn. Like, I don't know how all of this hits you this morning or, or where you're hearing this from, what, where you are in your heart or where you, what your battles are right now as, as you might see them. You might feel like you're an outsider, that you're, that you're wandering, wandering. You might feel like you are lost. You might feel like you're on your own. You might feel hurt. You might feel pain. But God knew all of that that Hagar felt before she even answered the question. Like, God knows. God hears. And God's grace extends that far. Extend to those that are hurting, those that are in pain, those that are wandering and feel like they have no home. Like, here's the, the far-reaching, the deep love of God that we see here. We see the unconditional love of God, unconditional given to Abraham. Abraham had not earned this. Yet God was faithful, yet God unconditionally loves Ishmael, Hagar, also unconditional. They too did not deserve this provision, deserve this love. Yet God's grace is unending. It pursues them as well. And the focus I continue to see through this is not just the magnitude or the size of the circumstances that Abraham is in or that Hagar is in. It's not the size of the pain, the size of the hurt but it's the size of who God is. How deep His love is, how far it is, how far-reaching it is. Like, do you hear that be described of God as we see all the way from Genesis 1 until now? 
We see the love of God pursuing his people, pursuing those on the outside, and displaying his love. And like this is the love that can describe us as a church, what should describe us as a church. Because, again, what I talked about earlier, this is not a political thing. It's a, it's a heart thing. The way that we are loving one another, the way that we're loving those that we see as being on the outside, the way that we love, like we demonstrate the love of God to the world. And we demonstrate this as we also love the outsiders. We take people in. As we take people into the country, as we take people into the church, into our homes, and into our lives. See, the all-encompassing, far-reaching love of God is displayed in the ways that we love as well. I just want to close by reminding of just, I've used this before, but it's a line from the Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, just this beautiful description of the love of God. Because the Jesus Story of the Bible, it's, just, it's, it's, it's painted as a picture, it's a, as a story, and the greatest story. Let me just quote this. It's a story of God loving his children and coming to rescue them in spite of everything, no matter what, whatever it cost him. God won't ever stop loving his children with a wonderful, never-stopping, never-giving-up, unbreaking, always and forever love. Like, this is the love that God loved us with in the gospel as he brought us into his family. And this is the love that we then can love others with. Let's pray.